<clears throat> I heard a story not too long ago from a pastor uh, of a fairly wealthy church, and uh, he was he was just relating how he'd been struck by even within his congregation uh, there were a number of needs, a number of people who were in need, and and he knew that there were folks in his church that could be giving more, um, and so he just started praying for him. He just started praying that that God would uh, make them more generous so that these needs would be met. Um, he wanted to give more himself personally, but he just didn't have you know, any more money. He was, um, was where he was, so he was just praying. And he got kind of caught up in that prayer. And so instead of just praying generally for the people in the congregation who already had money, he started to pray for his friends, his friends that he knew had a pretty healthy relationship towards money and that were already generous and, and were already giving as much as they could. And he started praying for his friends that his friends would be rich. Like that God would make his friends rich so that his friends would be able to give and, and meet these needs. Because he knew they were generous already. They could be trusted with the wealth. And so he just he started praying crazy prayers. Like, Lord, make my friends rich. And then he got really caught up in the prayer. And he thought, well, you know, Lord, Lord I mean, just fine, make me rich. Fine. I mean, it's, Lord, just, you know, I, you know, I, I want to give more. I can't. I don't know how you would possibly do this. You know, just, Lord, make me rich. So he's, he's praying this prayer. Uh, not too long after that, this particular pastor wrote a book that uh, shot to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. And you know what happens when you have a book on the New York Times bestseller list? You get rich, yeah. Uh, you get rich. So he had all this money, and so he, he started a foundation where all the money, the proceeds from the book just go straight to this foundation. He can't be tempted by it to spend it on himself, but he can now just write checks. You know, someone comes up to him and they say, you know, can, can you help us start an orphanage? And he's like, you bet. You know, writes a check. He gives it away. He, he had this amazing prayer. He prayed to God, Lord, would you, just, would you make me rich? It's a crazy prayer. And God did it, and now he can give these gifts away to people. It's an amazing story of how a miracle happened in response to a prayer. Uh, and, and we've heard stories like this, I think. If you've been around church world for a while, you've heard stories like this. There's different variations on the theme, but stories about how someone prayed for a friend who was sick. Uh, and they were healed. Um, stories about how you were, someone was in need of provision and, and a check just showed up in the mail. Um, or or you, you prayed for someone who was engaged in a destructive pattern of life and God just got a hold of them and miraculously changed their whole life so that they started to follow him. Um, we've heard these stories about miracles in response to prayer. And, and these stories are meant to encourage us. Okay, that they're meant to encourage us, to, to, to show us that God does miraculous things in response to prayer. Um, but a lot of times, I think these stories can discourage us. Because we look at these stories of how God has done miraculous things in response to other people's prayers, and we think, but that hasn't happened to me. Um, sure, maybe God listens to other people, but he doesn't listen to me. And so we get discouraged about prayer, and we think, well, why would I waste my time? These incredible stories, those obviously are happening to a super class of Christians. I'm not a part of that class, and so I'm not going to waste my time in prayer. But what I want to talk about today is a story from the Old Testament that reminds us that we don't have to be discouraged by these sorts of stories. In fact, we can be encouraged by these stories of how God responds miraculously to prayer, because God cares for us. So 
we're going to look at the story of Elijah today, or a part of the story of Elijah. You can go and flip in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. If you've got your pew Bible in front of you, that's page 247. I'll give you a little background, since we're just kind of jumping in today. Um, 1 Kings 17. The story picks up uh, in the nation of Israel. The king is Ahab, and his wife is Jezebel. And these are the worst rulers that Israel has ever seen. Uh, Ahab has done, it says, more evil in the sight of the Lord than anyone who had come before him. And he had some pretty bad predecessors. So this is the worst king and queen combo ever. They've taken the whole nation of Israel away from the worship of the true God to worshiping false gods like Baal and Asherah. And they're even persecuting and killing people who are prophets of the Lord and, and disciples of the Lord. And so Elijah shows up in chapter 17, this prophet, just out of nowhere, and he confronts Ahab, this bad, wicked king, and he says to him, there will be no rain in the earth until I say so. And then he disappears. He goes away. And Elijah goes and he eventually hides out in this foreign town uh, north of Israel on the, on the coast of the Mediterranean called Zarephath. And he stays there for a, a prolonged period of time with a widow and her son. So we're going to pick up the story in chapter 17, verse 17, and read about what happens next. First uh, Kings 17, 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. That is to say, he died. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. We'll stop there for now. So what happens here is Elijah is staying with this widow and her son. The son gets sick and dies. The mom is understandably upset with Elijah. Elijah is upset as well with God. And he tells God, how could you have done this? Why did you kill this child? Uh, and then Elijah prays for the child and a, and a miraculous healing. The child comes back to life. This is another one of those great stories about how someone prayed and God responded to that prayer with a miracle. Okay. Uh, we, we see that miracle in verse 22. It says, The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. But I want you to notice, though, that there's two miracles, really, that are happening in verse 22. Okay? There's two miracles. The second one is the one we key on. It's the fact that the life of the child came into the boy again, and he lived. Right? And that's a miracle. The child was dead, and then he came back to life. But there's another miracle in verse 22. And it might even be more astonishing than the first. So the other miracle in verse 22 is that the Lord listened the voice of Elijah. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. 
Um, it, I, I say that might be more astonishing uh, because it shouldn't really surprise us that God can raise a child from the dead. I mean, we, we, if, we, if we believe what we say, we believe. We believe that God created life, that God created the universe. He, he made it. He gives us life. So it shouldn't really surprise us that God can raise a child from the dead. Yeah, that's a miracle. But what should really surprise us is that the God who created life would listen to a human being who asks him to raise a child from the dead. Right? What should surprise us and shock us is that God listens to us. And so the first thing that I want us to understand this morning is that the miracle of prayer, first and foremost, is that God listens to us. That, that may not seem like a miracle yet, um, because we're, we're all very prone to overestimating our own importance. Um, of course God listens to me. Uh, but, it, but it should seem like a miracle. Like, like God really shouldn't care about what you say or what you think. You are one person on a planet of about 7 billion people. Okay? And our, our planet circles around the sun, which is one star in a universe of about 300 sextillion stars which is like 23 zeros after the 300. So, so there's, there's a universe that God made. In that universe, there's 300 sextillion stars. In one of those little stars, one of those stars off in the corner, um, there's a planet that goes around that star, and it's called Earth. And on that planet, there's 7 billion people. And of those 7 billion, you are one. And what we're claiming is that the God who made all of that listens to you. And he cares about what you ask of him. And I'm just saying, that's a miracle. It was uh, about a couple months ago, uh, we were having a really rough time getting some sleep, which I know you parents of infants are like, yeah, why, why? Uh, but it was like we had an infant again. Like our kids were just getting up all night, different ones every night, all, all the time, barging in. It was just, we were just getting really tired, you know? Uh, so one night, we're laying there in bed, and I just pray, God, would you please give us a good night's rest tonight? Uh, the next morning, like the kids sleep all night. Uh, next morning, they get up. They don't come into our room, as they always do, uh, but they, they go out the kitchen. Kit gets bananas down for everybody, distributes breakfast. They go to their rooms. They get dressed. They brush their teeth. And then, like, they're standing at our doorway, and we kind of wake up, like, what is going on? <laughs> and they're like, they give us the report. We had breakfast, we got dressed, we brushed our teeth. And I'm just thinking, that's a miracle, right? Uh, it's, it's not necessarily a miracle that my kids dress themselves and brush their teeth, I and mean, it's a very trivial thing. But the miracle is that something so trivial matters to the God who made the universe. That the God who made the world cares about us being a little tired and me praying, Lord, would you give us a night's sleep tonight? Would you do that for us? And he answers that prayer. It's a miracle. But you might be thinking, um, okay, fair enough, Pastor. God listens to you. Uh, God listens to Elijah. He doesn't listen to me. Maybe Elijah knows some things about how to get God to pray, uh, get God to listen to him. Maybe Elijah's got some tricks. Well, let's see what sort of tricks does Elijah use. Uh, verse 20, the first thing Elijah does before he prays and asks God to restore the child to life is he yells at God. 
Okay, this is not a, a good way to start getting what you want. In verse 20, he says, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? You know, if you're, if you're going to get somebody to, to give you what you want, it's not good to start by yelling at them, by accusing them of murder, by saying, you know, how could you have done this? You know, the, the, the appropriate way to, to manipulate folks in getting what you want is you, you start with flattery. You start with, um, with encouragement, you know, affirmation, stroke, stroke, and then you ask for what you want. Uh, but what Elijah does is he's just flat, he's just real, he's just honest. He just says, uh, you know, he's obviously upset. He's lived with this couple for a while. Um, the widow is sad, he's sad, this child has died. He, he just tells God what he thinks. He says, oh Lord, you killed this son. You, have you now brought calamity on this house and killed this widow's son? Isn't it enough that you've put the entire nation into drought for three years, but now this house where I'm staying, this widow that's provided for me, you're killing her son? That's how he starts. Which tells us that the miracle of prayer is even bigger than what we thought. God listens to us, but he listens to us even when we're honest with him. God listens to us even when we're honest with him. He's just raw, venting, angry, telling God like it is. And God still listens. God still listens. I think we feel this pressure sometimes when we pray, like we can't really be honest with God. Like it's more like a, a first date or a job interview. You gotta, you gotta put your best face forward. You know, don't, don't be honest. Don't, don't let God know everything about what's going on. Maybe you are angry with him, but don't tell him that. Because then he'll be upset with you and he's not going to give you what you want. Uh, maybe, maybe you do have some sin in your life or some things that you're struggling with, uh, but don't tell God that when you're praying. No, you, you need to put your best face forward so that he will not be disappointed with you and he'll be impressed with you and he'll give you what you want. So don't be honest with God when you pray because then he'll, you know, if he sees you like you really are, how can you expect to get anything from him? But the miracle of prayer is this, that God listens to us even when we're honest, even when we're painfully honest with him. It's not the only miracle that Elijah encountered in response to his prayers. Let's, let's continue the story. Um, I'll pick it up in, in chapter 18, verse 17. Uh, he'd hidden out for about three years. And the time had finally come for him to confront Ahab, to put an end to this. And so he goes up to Ahab and he sets up uh, this confrontation. So chapter 18, verse 17. Uh, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. 
So this is the, this is the deal. Uh, there's a confrontation. Prophets of Baal on one side, Elijah on the other side. He says, we'll both get one bull. We'll both cut it up. We'll both put it on, a, on an altar, but we won't light it on fire. And we'll just pray. We'll just pray. You pray to your God. I'll pray to my God. And the one who answers by setting the sacrifice on fire is the one who's truly God. Everybody says, okay, fair contest. Let's do it. Verse 26. They took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he's God. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And at midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, just like the evening sacrifice. Uh, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So these guys are trying really, really hard. You can't fault them for effort. They're trying really hard. They are dancing around the altar. They are crying really loud. Elijah's mocking them, saying, pray louder. So they say, all right, we're going to pray louder. So they pray louder. They start to cut themselves. They work themselves up into an ecstatic frenzy, trying to do everything they can to get the attention of their God and to impress him with what they're doing, but there's no answer. There's no answer. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in, he put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering, and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. So he's really setting this up. I mean, I, I just love it. This is one of the most dramatic scenes in the Bible. He's, he's just saying, all right, well, let's make this really hard. Let's make sure there's no chance for trickery. I don't have any hidden fire under there that's going to suddenly cause the, the, the wood to burn. Let's just dump water on it. Twelve big jars of water till it fills the trench. The thing is soaked. Uh, let, let's see what really happens. So he sets the stage. And then he prays. And it's a simple prayer. At the time of the offering of the oblation, or the evening sacrifice, Elijah, and the, prophet, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. It's a simple prayer. It takes about 20 seconds to say. Um, not, a lot of, not a lot of fancy stuff there. He asks God to answer him. He repeats that, answer me, Lord. And he does. Verse 38 then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. 
there's a lot we can learn from this story. I think one thing that we can't miss is that the miracle of prayer is so big that God listens to us even when we're unimpressive. You just got to look at the contrast between Elijah's prayer and the prayer of these prophets of Baal. Uh, prophets of Baal were doing everything they could to impress their God. They, were, they, were, they, were, they prayed a long time. They prayed from morning until evening. Any of you ever done that? They pray a whole day. They pray the whole day, 450 of them dancing around, trying to get their God's attention, shouting loudly, cutting themselves. I mean, they're, just, they're really devoted. They're really into this. They're trying as hard as they can to impress their God through their prayers, and nothing happens. But Elijah, because he's praying to the true God, it doesn't matter if his prayers are unimpressive. Like I said, it takes about 20 seconds to read what he said. It's not about time. It's not about his emotional involvement. It's about the fact that he's praying to the God who listens, even when we're unimpressive. Again, I just wonder if you've ever felt like that in your prayers. Like, maybe I'm not getting through because I'm not praying long enough. Maybe if I prayed for an hour a day instead of five minutes a day, then God would be more inclined to answer my prayers. You ever think that? It's just me. Uh, do you, you ever think, uh, maybe I'm not emotionally invested enough in my prayers. I'm just kind of running through my prayer list. I'm not, I'm not really involved. Maybe if I really wanted it more, maybe if I was more passionate, maybe if I cried in my prayers, that God would be more impressed and more inclined to listen to me, because that's what he's really looking for, right? Um, maybe, you've, maybe you've thought, if, if I were just a better Christian... I just lived my life better, then God would be more impressed with the way that I lived, and he would be more inclined to answer my prayer. But folks, God is not impressed. And, and he's not waiting to be impressed. The miracle of prayer is that God listens to us even when we're unimpressive. The story goes on. Pick it up in verse 41. Uh, the victory is done, and now it's time for Elijah to pray for the rain to come back. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising up from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. So what happens here is Elijah has just had you know, the epitome of a mountaintop experience. He's, 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 he's been on the edge all day long, waiting as these prophets of Baal cry out to their God for, for deliverance. Elijah finally gets his moment. He prays. God delivers in an amazing way. Um, you know, obviously, he's going to be tired now. Elijah's going to be tired, probably exhausted. He's had, just had this really stressful all-day experience. God's delivered. There's going to be some letdown. So, but he still needs to pray for God to bring the rain. That's the next thing that has to happen because that's how it stopped in the first place. So it's time to bring the rain. The victory's come. So he goes up to the mountain to pray for the rain to come. But when he gets there, all he can do is fall down on his face, fall down on his, on the, to the earth and put his face between his knees in this posture of absolute exhaustion. And he doesn't say anything. You're kind of waiting for him to pray for the rain to come, for him to say, Lord, would you please bring the rain? He doesn't say anything. He expects the rain to come. He tells the servant to go look for it. 
And eventually the servant sees it and the rain does come, but Elijah doesn't say anything. He just lays there on the ground in this position of humility and probably exhaustion. And all we can assume is that he's praying in his heart for the rain to come, that he's, he knows this is what needs to happen, but he just can't articulate it. And God even hears that prayer. And what I want us to, to learn from that is that, that the miracle of prayer is so big that God even listens to us when we're silent. You see that? Elijah didn't even say anything. He laid on the ground and God miraculously brought rain to end a three-year drought. And again, I don't know if you've ever felt like that, where you're in a time of prayer, or you, or you want to be in a time of prayer, but life is just so overwhelming, the things that are on your heart are so big, you don't know where to start. You don't know how to articulate it. You might just be so exhausted, you can't even get the words out. You, you, you think, if only I could pray and God could hear these words, if I could just express it to him in such a way that he would understand what's happening and he would answer it, that would be everything. But I can't even say it. I'm just, I'm just so burdened and overwhelmed. All I can do is sit here and, and emote or cry, or maybe I can just say, help me, Jesus. Maybe that's all that you can get out. And you, you think, if only I could pray more eloquently and get the words out, then God would hear me and he would respond. There must be some deficiency with my own words. But the miracle of prayer is bigger than that. That God listens to us even when we're silent, even when we can't get the words out, when we don't even know what to pray for. He hears us. And he responds. This is how prayer worked in the life of Elijah. That God listened to him when he was painfully honest, uh, when he was um, unimpressive, even when he was silent and exhaustion is being overwhelmed. Uh, it, it's still a fair question to ask, well, why? Why did God listen to Elijah? Um, if you flip to James 5, you find the answer. You can get there if you want. I don't know what it is in the Pew Bible, but it's in the New Testament. I'll just read it for us. In James chapter 5, starting in verse 16, James explains a little bit about Elijah. He says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So one thing that this passage tells us is that God didn't listen to Elijah because Elijah was special. So we want to write this story off and we say, well, Elijah was a special person. He had special access to God. I mean, Elijah, this is the guy who went into heaven with chariots of fire at the end of his life, right? So you want to think he's a special guy. Uh, he had special access to God. Of course God's going to listen to his prayers. But James 5.17 says Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He was just like you and me. He was a human being. It was a miracle that God listened to him. So why is it that God would listen to Elijah when he prays? Well, we jump back to verse 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great powers. It's working. And some of you might be sitting there right now thinking, aha, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it boiled down to righteousness. I knew you had to be a good person. I, that's the trick. Elijah was a righteous man. He was a good guy. He followed God with all his heart. So God was obviously impressed with Elijah's righteousness. And so God listened to Elijah's prayer because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I knew it. I knew it couldn't be that easy. All right, but here's the deal. The miracle of prayer is bigger than that because even the righteousness that we have is a gift from God. Uh, it, it's true 
that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, but it's also true that there's no such thing as a righteous person. So really the miracle of prayer is the miracle of the gospel. It's the miracle of the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that there is no one who is righteous. Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So our standard of righteousness, you want to have powerful and effective prayers? Okay, just be perfect, right? It's not that hard. Just be perfect, and then your prayers will be absolutely effective. But none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. So we need a righteousness that's not our own. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's the miracle of prayer, that Jesus makes us righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you get the significance of the gospel for prayer? In the gospel, we get the righteousness of Jesus, which means that we become righteous people. So if we get our sins forgiven and placed on Jesus, and in the gospel we get the righteousness of Jesus becomes ours, we put it on like a coat, it's ours. So when we pray, our prayers are powerful and effective. If we're really righteous in Jesus Christ, then our prayers are powerful and effective. We're, we're human beings just like Elijah, but we've been made righteous by Jesus. So we can come to God confidently and honestly. You know, are you afraid to share your sins with God? He already knows them, and he's already forgiven them. And he sees the righteousness of Jesus when he looks at you. So you can be honest with him. Um, are you afraid that you're unimpressive? Of course you are. You're so bad that Jesus had to die to save you. That's pretty darn unimpressive. But you're so dearly loved that Jesus gave his life for you. Like you have the righteousness of Jesus. God is impressed with Jesus. And when he looks at you, he sees him. And so he says, this prayer, it's, it's, it's powerful, it's effective. I'm going to listen to this person. Are you worried that God doesn't know your heart, that you need the right words to impress him? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit knows your heart. He knows what you need to pray, even if you pray the wrong things or if you don't know what you ought to pray. And he intercedes for us before the Father with groans that words can't express. You worry about your words not being right? Jesus is praying for you. He'll get it right. Folks, the miracle of prayer is that Jesus Christ has given us his righteousness. And that because of the finished work of Jesus on our behalf, we can come to God boldly, honestly. We don't have to worry about impressing him or screwing up in front of him. We're accepted by him. And he listens to us. So talk to him. There's this miracle. We're waiting for miracles in response to prayer. Prayer itself is a miracle. Take advantage of it. Talk to your Savior. Come boldly before his throne. Don't let these hurdles get in the way. Let's rejoice and enjoy the miracle of prayer. Let's do that now, in fact. Father, it is a miracle that we can come to you that this little speck of a church on this planet 
in, the, in, in, in just the corner of a universe that is so vast and so huge, which tells us that you are vast and huge, that you would care about us? It's a miracle. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice this week in the access that we have before your throne, that we would love to be with you and enjoy that reconciliation we have with you by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Um, And Lord, would you be powerful and effective through our prayers this week, that we would see your care for us and your love for us, and we would in turn glorify you and honor you and love you more for all that you've shown yourself to be in our lives. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus, our only hope. Amen.